0: You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of The Variable Man by Philip K. Dick Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson Part 5 Conclusion At 8 o'clock in the evening, May 15th, 2136, Icarus was launched towards the star Centaurus. A day later, while all Terra waited, Icarus entered the star traveling at thousands of times the speed of light nothing happened icarus disappeared into the star there was no explosion the bomb failed to go off at the same time the terran war fleet engaged the centauran outer fleet sweeping down in a concentrated attack 20 major ships were seized a good part of the centauran fleet was destroyed Many of the captive systems began to revolt, in the hope of throwing off the Imperial bonds. Two hours later, the massed Centauran war fleet from Armin abruptly appeared and joined the battle. The great struggle illuminated half the Centauran system. Ship after ship flashed briefly and then faded to ash. For a whole day, the two fleets fought strung out over millions of miles of space. Innumerable fighting men died, on both sides. At last, the remains of the battered Terran fleet turned and limped towards Armin, defeated. Little of the once impressive armada remained. A few blackened hulks, making their way uncertainly towards captivity. Icarus had not functioned. Centaurus had not exploded. The attack was a failure. The war was over.
1: We've lost the war,
0: Margaret Dufay said in a small voice, wondering and awed.
1: It's over. Finished.
0: The council members sat in their places around the conference table. Gray-haired, elderly men. None of them speaking or moving all gazed up mutely at the great stellar maps that covered two walls of the chamber.
1: I have already empowered negotiators to arrange a truce,
0: Margaret de Fay murmured.
1: Orders have been sent out to Vice Commander Jessup to give up the battle. There's no hope. Fleet Commander Carlton destroyed himself and his flagship a few minutes ago. The Centauran High Council has agreed to end the fighting. Their whole empire is rotten to the core, ready to topple of its own weight.
0: Reinhardt was slumped over at the table, his head in his hands.
1: I don't understand. Why? Why didn't the bomb explode?
0: He mopped his forehead shakily. All his poise was gone. He was trembling and broken.
1: What went wrong?
0: Gray-faced, Dixon murmured an answer. The variable man must have sabotaged the turret. The SRB machines knew. They analyzed the data. They knew, but it was too late. Reinhardt's eyes were bleak with despair as he raised his head a little.
1: I knew he'd destroy us. We're finished. A century of work and planning.
0: His body nodded in a spasm of furious agony.
1: All because of Sherkov.
0: Margaret Dufay eyed Reinhardt coldly.
1: Why because of Sherkov? He kept Cole alive. I wanted him killed from the start.
0: Suddenly, Reinhardt jumped from his chair, his hand clutched convulsively at his gun.
1: And he's still alive. Even if we've lost, I'm going to have the pleasure of putting a blast beam through Cole's chest. Sit down,
0: Margaret Dufay ordered. Reinhardt was halfway to the door.
1: He's still at the euthanasia ministry, waiting for the official, No. He's not,
0: Margaret Dufay said. Reinhardt froze. He turned slowly, as if unable to believe his senses.
1: What? Cole isn't at the ministry. I ordered him transferred, and your instructions cancelled. Where... where is he?
0: There was unusual hardness in Margaret Dufay's voice as she answered.
1: With Peter Sherkov, in the Urals. I had Sherkov's full authority restored, and then had Cole transferred there, put in Sherkov's safekeeping. I want to make sure Cole recovers, so we can keep our promise to him, our promise to return him to his own time.
0: Reinhardt's mouth opened and closed. All the color had drained from his face. His cheek muscles twitched spasmodically. At last, he managed to speak.
1: You've gone insane! The traitor responsible for Earth's greatest defeat! We have lost the war,
0: Margaret Fay stated quietly.
1: But this is not a day of defeat. It is a day of victory. The most incredible victory Terra has ever had.
0: Reinhardt and Dixon were dumbfounded. What? Reinhardt gasped.
1: What do you...
0: The whole room was in an uproar. All the council members were on their feet. Reinhardt's words were drowned out.
1: Sherkov will explain when he gets here.
0: Margaret Dufay's calm voice came. He's the one who discovered it. She looked around the chamber at the incredulous council members. Everyone
1: stay in his seat. You are all to remain here until Shirkov arrives. It is vital you hear what he has to say. His news transforms this whole situation.
0: Peter Shirkov accepted the briefcase of papers from his armed technician. Thanks. He pushed his chair back and glanced thoughtfully around the council chamber. Is everybody ready to hear what I have to say? We're ready. Margaret DeFay answered. The council members sat alertly around the table. At the far end, Reinhardt and Dixon watched uneasily as the big scientist removed papers from his briefcase and carefully examined them. To begin, I recall to you the original work behind the FTL bomb. Jameson Hedge was the first human to propel an object at a speed greater than light. As you know... That object diminished in length and gained in mass as it moved towards light speed. When it reached that speed, it vanished. It ceased to exist in our terms. Having no length, it could not occupy space. It rose to a different order of existence. When Hedge tried to bring the object back, an explosion occurred. Hedge was killed, and all his equipment was destroyed. The force of the blast was beyond calculation. Edge had planted his observation ship many millions of miles away. It was not far enough, however. Originally, he had hoped his drive might be used for space travel. But after his death, the principle was abandoned. That is, until Icarus. I saw possibilities of a bomb, an incredibly powerful bomb, to destroy Centaurus and all of the Empire forces. The reappearance of Icarus would mean the annihilation of their system. As Hedge had shown, the object would re-enter space already occupied by matter, and the cataclysm would be beyond belief.
1: But Icarus never came back,
0: Reinhardt cried.
1: Cole altered the wiring, so the bomb kept on going. It's probably still going.
0: Wrong, Sherikov boomed. The bomb did reappear, but it didn't explode. Reinhardt reacted violently. You mean? The bomb came back, dropping below the FTL speed as soon as it entered the star Proxima. But it did not explode. There was no cataclysm. It reappeared and was absorbed by the sun, turned into gas at once. Why didn't it explode? Dixon demanded, because Thomas Cole solved Hedge's problem. He found a way to bring the FTL object back into this universe without collision, without an explosion. The verbal man found what Hedge was after. The whole council was on its feet. A growing murmur filled the chamber, a rising pandemonium breaking out on all sides.
1: I don't believe it,
0: Reinhardt gasped.
1: It isn't possible. If Cole solved Hedge's problem, that would mean...
0: He broke off, staggered. Faster than light drive can now be used for space travel, Sherkov continued, waving the noise down. As Hedge intended. My men have studied the photographs of the turret control. They don't know how or why yet, but we have the complete records of the turret. We can duplicate the wiring as soon as the laboratories have been repaired. Comprehension was gradually beginning to settle over the room.
1: Then it will be possible to build FTL ships,
0: Margaret Dufay murmured, dazed.
1: And if we can do that...
0: Then I showed him the control turret. Cole understood its purpose. Not my purpose, but the original purpose Hedge had been working towards. Cole realized Icarus was actually an incomplete spaceship. Not a bomb at all. He saw what Hedge had seen, an FTL space drive. He set out to make Icarus work. We can go beyond Centaurus, Dixon muttered, his lips twisted. Then the war was trivial. We can leave the Empire completely behind. We can go beyond the galaxy. The whole universe is open to us, Shcherkov agreed. Instead of taking over an antiquated Empire, we have the entire cosmos to map and explore. God's total creation. Margaret Dufay got to her feet and moved slowly towards the great stellar maps that towered above them. At the far end of the chamber, she stood for a long time, gazing up at the myred suns, the legions of systems, awed by what she saw. Do you
1: suppose he realized all this?
0: she asked suddenly.
1: What we can see here on these maps.
0: Tiamis Cole is a strange person, Sherikov said half to himself. Apparently, he has some kind of intuition about machines, the way things are supposed to work. An intuition more in his hands than his head. A kind of genius, such as a painter or a pianist has. Not a scientist. He has no verbal knowledge about things, no semantic references. He deals with things themselves directly. I doubt very much if Thomas Cole understood what would come about. He just looked into the globe, the control turret. He saw unfinished wiring and relays. He saw a job half done, an incomplete machine.
1: Something to be fixed.
0: Something to be fixed, like an artist. He saw his work ahead of him. He was interested in only one thing turning out the best job he could. With the skill he possessed. For us, that skill has opened up a whole universe. Endless galaxies and systems to explore. Worlds without end. Unlimited, untouched worlds. Reinhardt got unsteadily to his feet.
1: We better get to work. Start organizing construction teams, exploration crews... We'll have to reconvert from war production to ship designing. Begin the manufacture of mining and scientific instruments for survey work. That's right,
0: Margaret Du said. She looked reflexively up at him.
1: But you're not going to have anything to do with it.
0: Reinhardt saw the expression on her face. His hand flew to his gun and he backed quickly towards the door. Dixon leaped up and joined him. Get back! Reinhardt shouted. Margaret Dufay signaled, and a phalanx of government troops closed in around the two men. Grim-faced, efficient soldiers with magnetic grapples, ready. Reinhardt's blaster wavered towards the council members sitting shocked in their seats, and towards Margaret Dufay, straight at her blue eyes. Reinhardt's features were distorted with insane fear.
1: Get back! Don't anyone come near me, or she'll be the first to get it.
0: Peter Shurkov slid from the table, and with one great stride swept his immense bulk in front of Reinhardt. His huge black-furred fist rose in a smashing arc. Reinhardt sailed against the wall, struck with a ringing force, and then slid slowly to the floor. Government troops threw their grapples quickly around him and jerked him to his feet. His body was frozen rigid. Blood dripped from his mouth. He spat bits of tooth. His eyes glazed over. Dixon stood dazed, mouth open, uncomprehending, as the grapples closed around his arms and legs. Reinhardt's gun skidded to the floor as he was yanked towards the door. One of the elderly council members picked the gun up and examined it curiously. He laid it carefully on the table.
1: Fully loaded, he murmured. Ready to fire.
0: Reinhardt's battered face was dark with hate.
1: I should have killed all of you. All of you.
0: An ugly sneer twisted across his shredded lips.
1: If I could get my hands loose, you won't,
0: Margaret Fay said.
1: You might as well not even bother to think about it.
0: She signaled to the troops, and they pulled Reinhardt and Dixon roughly out of the room. Two dazed figures, snarling and resentful. For a moment, the room was silent. Then... The council members shuffled nervously in their seats, beginning to breathe again. Shurkov came over and put his big paw on Margaret Dufay's shoulder. Are you all right, Margaret? She smiled faintly.
1: I'm fine. Thanks.
0: Shurkov touched her soft hair briefly. Then he broke away and began to pack up his briefcase busily. I have to go. I'll get in touch with you later.
1: Where are you going?
0: She asked hesitantly.
1: Can't you stay and...
0: I've got to get back to the Urals. Sherkov grinned at her over his bushy black beard as he headed out of the room. Some very important business to attend to.
1: Thomas Cole was sitting up in bed when Sherkov came to the door. Most of his awkward, hunched-over body was sealed in a thin envelope of transparent, airproof plastic. Two robot attendants whirred ceaselessly at his side, their leads contacting his pulse, blood pressure, respiration, body temperature. Cole turned a little as the huge scientist tossed down his briefcase and seated himself on the window ledge.
0: How are you feeling?
1: Sherkov asked him.
0: Better. You see, we've quite advanced therapy. Your burns should be healed in a few months. How's the war coming? Zivar is over. Cole's lips moved. Icarus? Icarus went as expected. As you expected.
1: Sherkov leaned toward the bed.
0: Cole. I promised you something. I mean to keep my promise. As soon as you're well enough. To return me to my own time? That's right. It's a relatively simple matter. Now that Reinhardt has been removed from power. You'll be back home again. Back in your own time. Your own world. We can supply you with some discs of platinum or something of the kind to finance your business. You'll need a new fix-it truck tools and clothes. A few thousand dollars are to do it." Cole was silent. I've already contacted Histo Research," Sherkov continued. The time bubble is ready as soon as you are. They're somewhat beholden to you, as you probably realized. You've made it possible for us to actualize our greatest dream. The whole planet is seething with excitement." Either changing our economy over from war to... They don't resent what happened? The dud must have made an awful lot of people feel downright bad. At first, but they got over it, as soon as they understood what was ahead. Too bad you won't be here to see it, Cole. A whole world breaking loose, bursting out into the universe. They want me to have an FTL ship ready by the end of the week. Thousands of applications are already on file, men and women wanting to get in on the initial flight. Cole smiled a little. There won't be any band there. No parade or welcoming committee for them. Maybe not. Maybe the first ship will wind up on some dead world. Nothing but sand and dried salt. But everybody wants to go. It's almost like a holiday. People running around and shouting and throwing things in the streets. Afraid I must get back to the labs. Lots of reconstruction work being started.
1: Sherkov dug into his bulging briefcase.
0: By the way, one little thing. While you're recovering here, you might like to look at these. He tossed a handful of
1: schematics on the bed. Cole... Pick them up slowly.
0: What's this? Just a little thing I designed.
1: Sherkov arose and lumbered toward the door.
0: But realigning our political structure to eliminate any recurrence of the Reinhardt affair. This will block any more one-man power grabs. He jabbed a thick finger at the schematics. It'll turn power over to all of us. Not just a limited number one person could dominate, the way Reinhardt dominated the council. This gimmick makes it possible for citizens to raise and decide issues directly. They won't have to wait for the council to verbalize a measure. Any citizen can transmit his will with one of these, make his needs register on a central control that automatically responds. When a large enough segment of the population wants a certain thing done, these little gadgets set up an active field that touches all of the others. An issue won't have to go through formal counsel. The citizens can express their will before any bunch of gray-haired old men could get around to it. Sherkov
1: broke off, frowning. Of course, he continued,
0: slowly. There's one little detail. What's that? I haven't been able to get a model to function. A few bugs. Such intricate work was never in my line. He
1: paused at the door.
0: Bill, I hope I'll see you again before you go. Maybe if you feel well enough later on, we could get together for one last talk. Maybe have dinner together sometime, eh? But Thomas Cole
1: wasn't listening. He was bent over the schematics, an intense frown on his weathered face. His long fingers moved restlessly over the schematics, tracing wiring and terminals. His lips moved as he calculated. Sherkov waited a moment. Then he stepped out into the hall and softly closed the door after him. He whistled merrily as he strode off down the corridor.
0: This concludes The Variable Man by Philip K. Dick. This has been an Auditory Entertainment's production. If you enjoyed the performance, please subscribe. You can now listen to our performances via podcast through your favorite podcast app. Simply search for Auditory Entertainment's. Thank you for listening.